The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. And in the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. And it is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. And nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. And the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. And the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. And the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. And the decree of the Lord is firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. And by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. And may they not rule over me. And then I may be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And may these words of my mouth... And this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We invite you today toward wonder. As you reflect today, my prayer is that God would capture our hearts afresh, that God would capture our hearts anew, that we would believe again. Some of us perhaps in the room are struggling with our unbelief. That's okay. That's normal. That's a part of the journey of learning to know God and follow God and give our whole life over to the way of Jesus. But I want to encourage you this morning. And so I'm praying out loud right now, Holy Spirit, would you encourage people in the room today? Maybe you've walked in the room and you're tired and you're worn out and you're, you're curious, or maybe you're just flat out discouraged, and you're fatigued and tired, and you just you want to throw your hands up, or maybe you've lost some of the hope that uh, God offers today, and maybe, maybe you're, just, you're just sitting in the chair, and you're like, you know what, Nate, I barely got here, and so we just want to turn our eyes. You know, the psalmist says, where does our hope come from? We lift our eyes to the hills. Where does our hope come? It comes from the Lord, who is our refuge and our strength. And so we invite you today toward this God who made the stars and the sky and this whole universe, the God who put it all into motion. And we invite you to reflect today on what it means to know God and to follow God with fresh eyes. And so we pray for that out loud. I'm curious though, for some of us who've walked in the room, this is a question I'm wrestling with is have we lost the wonder of it all? 
Have we lost the wonder of what it means to receive life as a gift? I mean, when we wake up in the morning, it's like life, yes, life is fragile. Life isn't the way it's meant to be. But, but ah, we've got to fight for life as a gift. Life is, is, is literally a gift that has been handed to us. I mean, for some of us, it, it's, 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 it's a struggle, right? It, it, and so when we, when we embrace life as a gift, we wake up in the morning, and one of the, one of the small ways that the psalmist calls us toward wonder is just to say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for another day to wake up and to breathe. Thank you, God, that many of us walked in pretty fine today in the sense that we, we got up and we had our cup of coffee and we did our thing and we connected with our loved ones and we got ourselves here and there was breath in our lungs and we actually are here together as Warehouse 242 and we just celebrated 20 years of God's good faithful way in the life of this community. And I just want to say thank you, God, out loud. Maybe this sounds churchy. Maybe this sounds, I don't know what the, what, the, what the filters are in the room, but I just want to say out loud, thank you, God, for carrying Warehouse 242 for 20 good, good years. Good years. Have we lost the wonder of it all? They're good years. They're hard years, I know. I know that this church has been through some really hard things, quite a few, some traumatic things. And maybe the whisper of the Spirit of God is wanting to remind some of us today that it's going to be okay. We've come this far, and God isn't over yet. God, God's story in the life of this community isn't over yet. God is still writing the story in the life of Warehouse 242, and God wants to encourage us today through the living word. You know, I, I can't get enough of this. Some of us, uh, I'm, my, I've been praying this week that God would stir up a hunger to know God more than we ever have in our lives before that we would have a hunger and a renewed thirst to dig into the word and to dig into the Psalms and the book of Acts and to dig into the Gospels and to dig into all the good stuff that's in here. When we read Psalm 19, we read, it's more precious than gold. It speaks to the value of the living word. And it's sweeter than honey. It speaks to the, to the receiving of the word. It's like it's so Good, the psalmist, all he could come up with was honey. No, no, that, that's just like a small metaphor in his life and time. But it's so good, we can hardly put words to it. That's how good the word is. That's how good God is. That's how faithful God is. That's who we serve and what we're giving our lives over to is this God of wonder who paints this, this picture of a universe that's still in motion despite us. Yesterday, people are protesting all over the world for good reason, because we're misstewarding the earth. We're misstewarding the good creation that, that the poets spoke about in Genesis chapter 1. It was poetry in motion. And so the, the scholars and the sages of the day spoke this, this poetic uh, a description of God speaking the world into existence. And this is the, the universe and the earth that, that we have received as stewards to tend what we've been given. 
and to steward the story that we get to be a part of. But here's the good news. For some of us who have lost a little bit of the wonder of it all, God can restore that wonder. God can restore our sense of of astonishment of what God has done and what God is doing and what God will do if we would just open our hands wide open to the new, fresh thing. The psalmist says his mercies are new every morning. And for some of us in our lives individually or as a community, we're tempted to rely on the past. We're, re- te- we're tempted to rely on that really cool thing that happened in 2003. <laughs> but it's almost 2020. And God is still on the move. God is still doing a fresh new thing in the world. And for whatever reason, God allows us to join into that story. And I'm just so grateful today. This isn't a fake veneer thing. I'm really grateful. I really have a a renewed sense of gratitude for life as a gift. Next slide. As we we think about these things, we're going to center ourselves In Acts chapter 2, this series that we've been in, verse 42 through 47, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. That word awe is a sense of reverent fear. It's a sense of wonder. It's a sense of astonishment. Look what God is doing. Wow. And they were filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. We're not going to emphasize this particular line today, but I will say this. The apostles weren't just talking about Jesus. They were embodying the good news of Jesus. They were actually living it out in a lifestyle that was so compelling, so so drawn in that people couldn't help but say, I don't know about this Jesus thing. I don't know who that guy is they're talking about, but whatever's going on over there, whatever they're talking about, they're actually living the message that they're talking about. That's what was so compelling about the early church. They were filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had one, had everything in common or one single-minded purpose. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone in need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes or from home to home and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor, or the word is actually Greek for grace, it's, it's the word charis. It, they were filled with favor or, or experiencing favor of the grace of God, of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love this, this, uh, this photo. Uh, it, 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 it sort of, it, it makes me wonder, is this what they were experiencing? Like a little girl in this photo is like standing in the rain with her arms wide open. Wow. Look what God not only has done, 
See, a lot of the people at Pentecost and Acts knew what God had done. They knew, some of the people there knew the stories of the God who parted the sea. And they knew the stories of the God who, uh, who David was writing about in the Psalms, and the ancient Psalms. They knew the stories of the God who brought them uh, out of the Exodus and into the, and toward the promised land. They knew the story of the God who dropped manna from the sky, and yet God was doing something fresh and new for their time, in their day, in their culture, in their city, in their situation, in the life of their families, in their homes, and from home to home. Look what God is doing. Life is fragile, yes, But life is also a gift. Have we lost the wonder of it all? Have we lost the wonder of what it means to know God and to follow God and to give our life to his kingdom way? Have we lost the wonder of it all? Are we relying on the past experiences and the past stories and the life of this church or in the life of this city? And maybe a little bit too much to say, you know, what is the new thing? What is the new wineskin What is the new kingdom reality that God wants to stir up in our lives and in our families and in our workplaces and homes and among our children and among our neighbors and even between those of us sitting here from aisle to aisle? I love this phrase, and for some of us it feels like, uh, you know, I don't know know how it would come off, but I really believe this, that a church full of wonder bears witness to the risen Jesus practicing resurrection as signposts of good news. We can't just talk about this Jesus. See, Charlotte has over 900 churches. And we're all familiar, I think, of the Harvard study that was done in our city. And we've heard it probably a thousand times. Charlotte ranked 50 out of 50 out of major cities on economic mobility. And, you know, the more I think about it, I'm like, wait a minute. There's over 900 churches in this city. And we're a banking town. We're competitive with Manhattan and San Francisco. That's Charlotte. A city of banks How does a city of banks rank 50, the last city on the list with a church of, uh, with a city of churches? How does that happen? There's two realities in our city. There's a lot of things that God wants to unpack, but we have to get back to the wonder of what it means to know and know God and to live for God. And to not just talk, see, a lot of people have heard a lot of churches spouting off a lot of beautiful things. And, you know, and we love poetry and we love beautiful language and we love lots of beautiful things. But underneath it, there are a lot of people wondering, watching and waiting. You speak of this God of wonder. How does it live out? What are the signposts? How do we actually know that you believe what you say? How do, how, what are we actually doing to live it out? Not in a shameful way, just more as a, a call to embody the good news of this Jesus that we claim to know and follow. God wants to, to stir us up toward wonder and to be so full of gratitude for life 
to be so full of gratitude in walking with Jesus as Jesus walks with us that we couldn't help but, but spill out over into our lifestyles in such a way that we would be just, ah, we, we would give our whole life to this Jesus that we would literally say, you know what, I don't know what it would take, but we'll do anything. We'll lay our lives down in the likeness of the one that we follow. See, Jesus laid his, down, his life down for us. And it says in John, it says that it's one thing for someone to lay their life down for a friend. It's another thing for someone to lay their life down for their neighbor. Are we willing to do anything for the God that we love and serve? Not as a performance, not as something that we earn. We cannot earn this love. It's grace. This wonder that we talk about is a gift that we receive through the life, the abundant life, and eternal life that lasts forever in, the, in, in Jesus. But as we receive this love, we live it out as signposts. We practice this love in the way that we live and work. And so a church full of wonder bears witness to the risen Jesus. Not as a fake wonder, not as a fake smile, not as a plastic veneered kind of experience, but saying despite our pain, despite what we've been through, with all that God has carried us through, we will choose wonder in the face of it all. We were talking as a pastoral team a couple weeks ago about this idea that sometimes praise or wonder or celebration is actually a form of resistance in the middle of suffering. This has been something that people who have followed on the way of God and the life of Jesus for centuries, celebration coming in to say, I know it's been a hard week and just because of it, I'm going to come and give myself open with open hands and praise and wonder and celebration, even though life is hard. Are you with me on this? Anybody? Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. We're moving on. We're moving on. So uh, here's an example. Uh, this woman, I met this dear woman in Zimbabwe last year. And uh, there was a group of us with Hope for Kids Zimbabwe. And uh, we were with our friend Bob, who was uh, this woman's uh, great-grandson. I love Bob. Bob's amazing. And Bob brought us up. He said, you have to meet my great-grandmother. And so as we meet with Miss Centurion, that was her nickname, Miss Centurion. Why was she? Because she had just turned 100 years old. And so we met with Miss Centurion, and it was like sacred ground, right? And we get to the foot of the mountain, and we walk up, and it was quite a hike up there. And there she was, and she was sitting on this little rock ledge, and she had smiles from ear to ear, and she had open arms, and she welcomed us at the foot of her outdoor living room. And she welcomed us to sit down, and we had this beautiful conversation. And throughout the conversation, you could see the spark in her eyes. You could tell from Bob, not only from what his story was, but in just, just, just reading her and her body language, you could tell that she's been through a few things, that she's seen a little bit of life. She, she went on to say that she's lived in the same place, she had lived in the same place for 100 years on the same side of that mountain. And as we sat there, we couldn't help but just, just oh, we've, we've got to ask her uh, for wisdom here. 
And so we leaned in and I, I said, Miss Centurion, what wisdom would you pass on to the next generation? And without hesitation, with a big smile on her face, she said, oh, plant a garden. She said, build your home. She said, marry off your children. And she said, and don't eat too much sugar. (laughs) I was like, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. This woman was full of the wonder of God in her life, and she couldn't help but, but praise God in the middle of her circumstance on the same side of a mountain for 100 years. You know what she was quoting? She was quoting Jeremiah chapter 29. I encourage you later today, if you get a chance, look it up. It's amazing. She was basically almost word for word, plant your garden, build your homes, Set, but but it, and, and it was just unbelievable. And I thought, yes, yes, this is this really is. We'll go to the next slide in Psalm 71. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Are we passing on? Yes, we don't forget the stories that happened in 2003. We pass them on, absolutely, with a simultaneous wonder that says, look what God did, and guess what? God can do it again. God can do it again. God can do it again. In the middle of our suffering, in the middle of our pain, even on the same side of a mountain for a hundred years, God can do something fresh again and again and again. Have we lost the wonder of it all? Have we lost this idea that God can do anything, anywhere, just as God chooses despite us? That's good news. For me, it's really good news because I tell you, despite me, right? I mean, really, truly, like, it, it, this is really good news that, that God would, would call us to this. Like, that, that we, even when we're old and gray, and, and some of us, we have various generations in the room here, but even, even for high school students, even for our youth and our students, you can tell stories of what God's doing not only in your life, but what God has done in your life. We can continue to spread the good news of who this God is and the life of this new kind of kingdom family that God wants to establish in the world. That's why we gather here every Sunday morning. Uh, It says in Psalm 40, I'm going to read this. It says, uh, Psalm 40, verse 5, Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be far too many to declare. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love this idea that we would be so caught up with wonder. It says in Psalm 42, By day the Lord directs his love, and at night his song is with me. The God, the, a prayer to the God of my life. And, and, and I love this idea of God stirring up the early church in Acts chapter 2 with this kind of wonder, with this kind of remembrance. So we're not, we're not doing away with our remembrance of where God has, has been in our lives, where we've discover, discovered the movement of God in our lives. We're just simply saying, let's continue to remember while joining into the continued story of where God is moving in the world right here and now for today. Because it's not over yet. 
because God can do anything, anytime, anywhere as God chooses. And we can't forget that. We can't forget what God has done, is doing, and who God is. We cannot forget what God is like. That in Jesus, God is like someone who comes to us and joins us in our life. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. Jesus came to us. Jesus joined with us. God co-suffers with us. I know, it's a little awkward, like, what's happening now? As I talk with the high school students in the front row. But here's the thing. This is what God is like. God isn't a distant God of wonders in the sky somewhere far off as some ambiguous thing. No, 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 no. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who comes to us and joins us in our life and joins us in our pain and joins us in our suffering. And to that we say, thank you, God, that despite us, despite all that we've been through, you are so good. You're so full of wonder that we will believe and keep on believing even despite our unbelief. And so uh, uh, check this picture out. This blew me away because on one side of the road is deficit, so to speak. It's sort of this drab kind of view, perhaps. And then on the, across the street of this photo are these beautiful trees full of purple flowers that just call us to, as soon as I saw this tree last year, I was just full of gratitude, it was like, this is so beautiful, there's no way the phone on my, uh, uh, on my the, the camera on my phone can capture the beauty of these trees. There's just no way, it's too much, it's too beautiful, it's too good. And sometimes we're literally going down the exact same road and we have to make a choice. On that same road, on one side of the road is one perspective, on the exact same path is another perspective. And perhaps some of us have lost the wonder of it all. It's the same road. It's the same God who carried you this far up to this point. And the same road literally has two different views, two different perspectives of how we can embrace the life that we've been given and the one life that we have for at least this side of heaven, this side of the new heaven. And life is short. It says in James that life is like a mist. It appears for a little while and then it vanishes. It's gone. Some of us have lost loved ones. I have too. I know. I know. I know. And so what are we going to do with it? We're going down a path in an attempt to call ourselves toward the way of Jesus. What perspective will we embrace? James puts it this way. He says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings. We have been made in God's image, and out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. See, there are times in life when we're down this path, and we can't help but praise God, and at the same time, someone else off to the side, perhaps down the hallway, perhaps out on the dock, or across the city, someone's name is getting downed, or in James's word in the English, cursed. 
Out of the same breath, we praise God and we curse. And God is calling us toward back toward wonder to say, no, 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 that's not the way it was meant to be. Life is fragile, but life is a gift. And we are made in God's image. And God loves every person on this planet. And God longs for equality in the name of Jesus. God longs for justice in the name of Jesus. God longs for good news to break through in the name of Jesus. Jesus quoted himself saying that the lame could walk and the blind could see and the prisoners were being set free. This is what Jesus quoted about himself from the book, the scroll of Isaiah, who was the prophet of his day. And out of one breath, we're praising God. And on the other hand, underneath our breath, someone else is getting cursed. The state motto for North Carolina is a Latin phrase. If you know it, say it with me now. To be rather than to seem. Wow. To be rather than to seem. We have over 900 churches in this city, and I would dare say with trepidation, because I'm no expert, I'm here as a learner with you. I'm not claiming to have some kind of special excuse me, special knowledge or, or say, I'm, I'm simply trying to dig in to the living word of God, to tap into what the acts of the apostles were experiencing in the early life of the church. And I would dare say that the life of the church, what people were drawn into in that community because they were being rather than seeming. They weren't just talking about a message. They were actually embodying it as a lifestyle of love. They were actually living this thing out with everything they had to be rather than to seem. I believe this phrase from the state of North Carolina is a prophetic call to the wider church in this city. Uh, it's, it's interesting that um, just a few chapters from chapter 2, and when we read this phrase in Acts, that they were filled with awe or reverent fear or astonishment. Just a few chapters later, the church was experiencing persecution. And it says that they were just trying to get people out into the streets. They were literally bringing the sick out to the early church. How many of us long for that again? Long for the church to be so compelling, so full of wonder as witness that people would actually be drawn to this community in bringing the sick from the streets into the life of this community. Are we ready for that? We say we want certain things, but are we seeming or are we being? What is the, what is the call upon the life of this church? These are the questions we're asking these days. To be rather than to seem. You know, Jesus himself suffered. See, I think this idea of favor gets a bad rap. Jesus suffered on a cross. It says in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Don't grow weary and lose heart. Don't grow weary. Don't lose the wonder of it all. Or we hear the, the writer in Galatians who says, uh, don't grow weary in doing good for in due time you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. 
And so God is calling us back to wonder. And in that wonder described in verse 43 of Acts chapter 2, that they were filled with awe and wonder of, the, of all that they were seeing in the early church. It says in verse 47 that they turned toward praise. And not only did they turn toward praise, but they experienced favor among all the people. And the word again, favor, is charis, which is Greek for grace. They were experiencing the grace of God. And perhaps it could be argued that uh, as the church experienced grace among the people, the people were experiencing grace from within the church. It was a symbiotic exchange of relationship between those out on the streets and those from home to home who were not only speaking of this new resurrected Jesus that they were so compelled by, that they had experienced forgiveness and salvation and new life through, but that they were actually living it out in such a compelling way that they said, yeah, yeah, we know he suffered on a cross. This phrase in Hebrews is actually scorning its shame. It means Jesus scorned its scorn. Jesus shamed its shame. The lowest possible form of capital punishment in the Roman world was the cross. And Jesus flips it on its head and says, yeah, yeah, I'm actually going to shame that, the shame of the cross because nothing can keep him down. He is the resurrected one. He is the one who came in the Godhead from, from, from the God of wonders who came and joined us. And he says, yeah, dance on death. Dance on injustice. Dance on all of the things that we see and, and lean in with wonder at what God can and will do in the life of this community. And so we look to Jesus. So favor gets a bad rap when we read this word in Acts because it's, it, in the English, it, it, it's misconstrued a lot of times. So favor is often the meaning of, of grace in the middle of suffering, enduring the cross in the likeness of Jesus. Favor often means recentering the voices of those at the margins. Favor often means being received by those at the margins at the invitation of our neighbors when we're actually being rather than seeming. Favor often means embracing those who arrive on our doorstep. Favor often means repenting of the ways we've turned Jesus away at our doorstep. Favor often means we're invited to be rather than to seem. And so the early church experienced awe, wonder, joy, reverent fear. They were astonished. And then they turned toward praise. And that praise turns toward favor among all the people. And the people experienced favor among the church because the church was being rather than seeming. The church was committed to the life that lived out the mission of Jesus so compellingly that they just couldn't help but draw people in as God chose. See, it says in the final verse here in verse 47 that they added to their number daily those who were being saved. It says in 1 Corinthians 3, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God makes it grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, that they each will be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers with God's in God's service. And you are God's field and God's building. See, God wants to restore our wonder today and replant seeds of wonder in the field of our lives. God wants to plant hope and renewal. God wants to plant the new thing that God is doing for today 
and tomorrow in our hearts, in our minds. Amos talked about this, that our young people will see visions, that our young people will experience vision, and our, and our elders will simultaneously experience the same thing. I'm paraphrasing the prophet Amos. But this is what God wants to do in the life of Warehouse, I believe. And so with that, we're called to say, how do we turn ourselves toward who God is, what God is like, to experience wonder again, to remember that life is a gift. It says, uh, following here, I'm, I'm going to uh, quote uh, Willie James Jennings. He says, what will you do if I join you at the body of Jesus and fall in love with your God and with you? The Gentiles in Acts, in Acts chapter 2, I'm paraphrasing here, are on their way to communion with Jews while remaining Gentiles. This is the most terrifying aspect of interruption. It's love. See, the new thing that God wants to do is perhaps not just bring people into proximity. It's not good enough. My mentor in Atlanta, Bob Lupton, used to say, relocation doesn't guarantee reconciliation. So we've been given a ministry of reconciliation to reconcile and introduce people to God and to reconcile people with one another, with ourselves, and with creation. This is the story of God and the world. And yet relocation doesn't guarantee reconciliation. We have to live intentional lives. We have to practice resurrection in the way we live and work as signposts and witnesses of the risen Jesus so that we live it out and embody the good news that we're talking about. And in that, we live as intentional neighbors alongside others who begin to see and experience and say, wow, whoa, look what God is doing. Some questions that I've been asking recently. Uh, what if the church took a posture of a learner? See, learners are often full of wonder. And maybe we need to get back to the heart of becoming a learning community again. Look what God is doing is often the question or the statement of those who are learning. What if the church's impact on the neighborhood is learning to receive how the neighborhood is changing us? That's a quote from my buddy in Chicago, Pastor Jay Brooks. I love that because in Acts chapter 2, they added to their number daily. There was, quote-unquote, impact. But they were allowing themselves to be impacted by those around them as well. And in that mutual impact, new life was forming. And wonder was being experienced in the day-to-day -day life of the people of God. What if we put the interests of the neighborhood above our own or those at the margins above our own? What if we were so full of wonder that we were willing to leap again? This is a picture of me and my father when I was a little boy. He used to flip me off of his feet. And I'm, of course, it's, the photo is partly cut off there, but I'm, I'm, I've got both arms open and I'm, I'm essentially diving toward him as he, as he gets ready to catch me in the living room floor with his arms wide open, this is what I believe, perhaps, is an image of how God views the life of this community if we're just willing to leap again. 
And maybe we've lost the wonder of it all. And God is saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. The story isn't over yet. Turn your hearts toward gratitude. Turn your hearts toward praise. Turn your hearts toward the grace and favor of God. Because as God, the favored one, experienced favor, he gave it away. Jesus spoke to the masses, and he was also abandoned at the cross. So we don't focus necessarily on all the numbers per se in the room. I'm not saying that's not important, but sometimes we get so caught up with they added, they added to the number, their numbers daily, right? This is a descriptive statement in the life of the early church, not a prescriptive statement. And so as we embrace what God wants to do in this life, we don't make it about us. We get ourselves out of the way and we recenter the voice of the Spirit of God in the center of this community. And we say we're committing ourselves to follow Jesus, to lay ourselves down and to do whatever it takes to experience the life of God again and again and again for the new thing God wants to do in this community. And not only that, but then we recenter the voices of those among the margins, and we put the interests of those ahead of our own, and we say, maybe if we're willing to do that, God could do something so beautiful, so unbelievable, that we would be completely blown away if we're just willing to lay it down with open hands and say, God, lead the way. Our life is yours. We'll do whatever it takes to receive your grace your favor, and then lay it down for the sake of others. That is a church for the sake of others. Will you join me in prayer? God, will you please stir us again? Will you please help my friends in the room today, those we love, perhaps those who are struggling in some way, and they walked in today. I just pray that through your living word, that you would stir us fresh, that you would renew the good news in our life, that we would remember all that you've done, and that we would also be willing to follow you with wide-eyed wonder once again for the new thing that you're doing in the world today. We just want to say thank you. You're so good. You're so awesome. You're so kind. And we just want to say thank you for giving us another day to enjoy you and to live for you and to share you with others. In the name of Jesus, amen.